So one of my lowest points of the trip, I was standing in a big stop stall with my bike shorts around my ankles, bent over, blistexing my own butt. <laughs> and it was like midnight. What the hell am I doing here? All right, well, welcome. welcome. Welcome, everybody, to the Night of Adventure podcast. I'm Dave Green. And I'm Chris Surrett. This is the podcast where we explore the human spirit through storytelling. On, on this episode here, we have a fella named Sam Caldwell come in to talk about the tip-to-tip bicycle race here in Nova Scotia. Yeah, it is a thousand-kilometer bike race, uh, and tip-to-tip is what it's called because it goes from the bottom of Nova Scotia to the top in Meat Cove. Um, however, it doesn't go in a straight line at all. No. Um, and it, it's ready, set, go, and you try to get there as fast as you can, being self-sufficient. There's checkpoints along the way. That's right, yeah. Um, but, yeah, but Sam gets into all the details about that. But really cool uh, idea that Ashley Miles had. That's right, yeah. i got to give a big shout-out to Ashley Miles for spearheading this project. She uh, took it upon herself a couple of years ago. Uh, she's been doing these big one-stage bike races kind of down in the U.S. I know she did a big one down there. Uh, and then she wanted to do something more homegrown, close to home, so she started this race here, Tip to Tip. And uh, the first time, she just went out and did it on her own. She just, she just did it. Like, she just said this is a good idea i'm just gonna go do this i don't think she ever told anybody she's gonna do it she just kind of like did it yeah which is pretty pretty cool i mean that's a that's a badass move yeah um and then she thought you know what i think as she was posting about it and telling people about it i think people were like hey i I would do that you know yeah some of the community was like that's a really cool idea and she started organizing it and you know, thinking of the, the route and thinking of the checkpoints and thinking of logistics and safety, and, and she pulled it off, and yep. uh, I, I think I want to do it. Yeah, and she, uh, she brought together a good team, and uh, there's another fellow that works on this, Charmers Blinkhorn, who is a, uh, a past presenter. If, if you go back, you can listen to one of his episodes as well. Uh, but they're together on a team organizing the Tip to Tip here in Nova Scotia. Yeah, and uh, Sam tells uh, some pretty funny stories uh, about his his trip that he did this year and uh, gave a really good perspective of what it would be like to do a, a long ride like this, uh, you know, on your own, because that's yeah, largely he, what... He really digs into the details. He tells you the bike and the food and the, everything that you would want to know from logistics to the psychology of doing a race like this. Yeah, and then just going for it, which is what he did. Yeah, so grab yourself a pop. Get some chips, wash your dishes, whatever it is you're doing, and uh, buckle in. It's going to be a good ride. Um, so before I get into my presentation, I just want to send a huge thanks to Dave Green, A for Adventure, and North Brewing. Um, if it weren't for these guys in this amazing Night of Adventure series, I actually wouldn't be standing here. It was a presentation that Ashley Miles made last year at Night of Adventure on the 2021 Tip to Tip that actually inspired me to come out and do the 2022 Tip to Tip. Um, Before that presentation, I had no idea what this ride was. I knew nothing about it. After that presentation, I got inspired, as I always do when I come to these events. Signed up right away, and uh, here I am presenting. So, huge round of applause for Dave, Chris, Ashley. Oh, and Long Alley Bikes as well. Yeah. When I... When I first moved to Halifax, my very first bike was purchased from Long Alley. I still have that bike, and it's the favorite bike I've ever owned. So huge thanks to Long Alley as well. So I'm here to present um, the, my experience with the 2022 Tip to Tip ride. So 
What is the Tip to Tip Nova Scotia? Well, the Tip to Tip Nova Scotia is a self-supported, um, single-stage, ultra-endurance bike race across Nova Scotia. So it's, it's called the Tip to Tip because you literally start at the most southern tip of Nova Scotia, at Cape Sable Island on Nova Scotia's, Nova Scotia's south shore, and you ride to the most northern tip, which is Meat Cove, at the top of Cape Breton Island. Um, in between those two start and end points, you're given seven checkpoints along the way and a time limit of five days to complete the bike ride. Um, so what does it mean to be self-supported? Self-supported basically means any sort of outside assistance, be it food, water, shelter, any sort of assistance whatsoever, if it's not commercially available to every rider, it's totally off limits. So, you know, gas stations, restaurants, that's commercially available to every rider. So food, water, we could get that at anything commercially available along the ride. But what were off limits were staying at a friend's place, um, taking food and water off the side of the road from your friends or family or a stranger if you were going to do that, which is kind of weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, it had to be commercially available to all, all riders. Um, and what does single stage mean? Uh, well, single stage means there's no predefined distance you have to meet each day. It's not like the Tour de France where you ride 200K one day, 180K the next day, 250K the next day. It was really up to the individual riders. You had your start point, you had seven checkpoints in between, you had your end point, you had a time limit, but how you got between each checkpoint and how far you went each day was totally up to the individual riders. So you could ride 10K if you wanted on day one. You could ride 500. Um, it was really up to you. And how you got in between those checkpoints, what routes you took, again, was totally up to the individual rider, which is a really interesting dynamic that I thought was, um, yeah, it was really cool. So the checkpoints, what were they? Um, we were given seven checkpoints, like I said. It started with Lunenburg, went up to Kenfield, took a huge literal left turn all the way over to Parsboro, um, up into New Brunswick at Fort Beausejour, um, continuing on to Antigonish, up into Cape Breton, into Inverness, um, across the island up into Inganish, and then further north up to the finish at Meat Cove. <laughs> so when you hear tip to tip, at least what I thought was like, hey, you have a start point, you have an end point, you're trying to get there as fast as you can, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Let's try and go as straight as we can and as fast as possible. Um, yeah, given those crazy checkpoints. And here's the crazy thing. We weren't given the checkpoints until about 14, 15 hours before we actually started the ride. Um, so everyone wants to hear about gear. Um, the bike I rode was a giant TCX. If anyone was here for the presentation last year and saw Kieran Sharp present, you might recognize that bike. He's won the event the last two years. I actually, by pure chance, bought this bike off of him, not knowing that he rode this bike last year. I bought this off him in the spring. So this is the second time this bike has made the journey. A lot slower this time, that's for sure. Um, so the bike weighs about 19 pounds. Fully loaded up on my first day. Bike and gear were about 43 pounds. So for food, because we were on main roads most of the way, um, you know, I just resupplied at gas stations restaurants, corner stores, you know, there was lots of options along the way. They were all major, 
major roads in Nova Scotia for the most part. Um, I did carry three kind of dehydrated camp meals just in case. You know, the last thing I wanted was to end up at, you know, the middle of the night somewhere where there's no food and I'm really hungry. I burned a ton of calories on this ride and I didn't want to wake up, get back on the bike feeling like garbage. So I brought three meals just in case. Always had tons of bars, tons of gels, tons of candy, like really easy finger food that I could eat while on the bike. Water, same thing. It was, water was everywhere, gas stations, restaurants. It was pretty easy. I did bring tabs just in case I had to like fill up at a stream or a brook, but I uh, didn't end up needing those. So the actual gear that I brought, when packing for this trip, you know, it's the age old debate of like speed versus comfort. Um, if you want to be comfortable, you got to bring more gear. If you bring more gear, you bring more weight and it slows you down. Um, but I opted for comfort. I wasn't trying to win this thing. I just wanted to get it done in the time period. I knew I wanted to sleep, so I brought a sleep system. You know, I brought a, you know, oops. Uh, you know, I brought a, a sleeping bag, a tent, a sleeping pad. Funny story, I think I was the only one of the 10 riders who actually brought a tent, which is crazy. Um, the other riders opted for like lightweight bivy bags or emergency blankets or nothing at all because they're maniacs. <laughs> um, so other than my sleep system, I brought just one pair of bike shorts, one jersey, uh, a lightweight pair of clothes to wear at night. I had an inReach which served as my tracking system, sunscreen, Advil, the uh, Vaseline. Um, I picked that up along the way out of sheer necessity. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> I brought, a, I brought a jet boil just in case I wanted to make those meals at night. Um, so how do you prepare for a ride like this? Um, I probably started training in like the middle, early middle of June. I would have liked to get on the bike earlier, but I was in the middle of a marathon training block and ran a, a, a late May marathon, so I had no time to get on the bike before, before June. Um, but once I started riding, I tried to get out at least three days a week. That, usually consisted of two shorter rides in the weekdays, anywhere from 30 to 50K. Um, I'd get out more often if I could, and then at least one long ride in the summer, or on the weekends. Um, my longest ride of the summer was about 160K before this event, which in hindsight was probably not long enough, um, given the length of this, this journey that really wasn't long enough. Um, I did one test ride to Martinique Beach, which you can see here, um, just to test out my kit and my gear. I left from Halifax, biked to Martinique, camped out on the beach, which is not legal, but nobody was there, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, I had a great night. It was really fun. Uh, and yeah, tested out my gear and everything went really well, so I felt pretty confident. Um, I was feeling really good, come on like early August. I was feeling really comfortable and strong on the bike, but sometimes life gets in the way. I had the opportunity to go up to northern Canada and do like a, you know, a remote field program in Nunavut, which took me away from Nova Scotia for about 10 days. I didn't get back until about five days before the start of the ride. And during those 10 days, I, I wasn't eating well. I wasn't exercising, that's for sure. Certainly wasn't on the bike. And to make matters worse, when I landed, Heidi and I, we had to move. So I had about four days to pack up and clean and move my entire house. So 
I had about two weeks where I wasn't doing any riding whatsoever, no prep. All I was drinking was caffeine. I was just eating pizza, um, not sleeping much. It really was <laughs> not proper prep. I'm, I'm a prepper. Like any adventure that I do, I love to like make gear lists and plan routes and pack and repack bags and get my nutrition and stuff dialed in. But I did none of that for this trip. Um, yeah, it's the way she goes sometimes, in the wise words of Ray. Hi, I'm Dave Green. I am the founder of Night of Adventure. Our mission is to explore the human spirit through storytelling. Through initiatives, the Night of Adventure grant was born. The Night of Adventure grant was created as a way to give back to our community. The grant supports grassroots human-powered expeditions and adventure. Over the past three years, we have given away over $5,000, supporting 11 different projects turn their dreams from a plan to reality. The application process opens at the end of April each year. We try our best to make the application as simple as possible. Successful applications prove to us their merit, uniqueness, and a high level of commitment to their plan. Here are some words from one of our past recipients. And don't forget to get dreaming, start planning, and remember to apply to the Night of Adventure grant. Hi everyone, my name is Johnny Maillet. Uh, this year I was fortunate enough to be named one of the 2022 Night of Adventure grant recipients. So I, I will forever be grateful uh, for Night of Adventure and the grant because it helped fund and create an opportunity uh, to help accomplish my goal, a goal that would have been difficult for me uh, to fund and get support. So my proposed idea uh, this year was to fast pack all 336 kilometers of the East Coast Trail in seven days. Now, for those of you who don't know, the East Coast Trail is located on the eastern side of the Avalon Peninsula in St. John's, Newfoundland. Again, uh, one of the reasons why I love Night of Adventure so much is because it really allows me to network with other badass adventurers and people who enjoy type two fun. Um, it really helps give these people a platform to share their stories and help spread the word of how fun and character building pushing yourself really can be. Now back to our story from Sam about his race in the tip-to-tip one-stage bicycle race here in Nova Scotia. So day zero, again, this was the first day, like we had to move, this was our last day to move, uh, August 25th. Um, again, spent most of the day frantically moving. I packed my gear in about an hour, unpacking multiple boxes to access my gear because I stupidly packed it away. Um, in a caffeine-fueled state of anxiety. Um, but come on, you know, 5 p.m., uh, I had my gear packed, I was ready to go, I was able to like make the move. We successfully moved to the country. Um, and then I met Ashley and Derek who were here in the crowd today, and Mark who was another rider. Um, we loaded up Ashley's Honda Fit, four bikes, loaded to the brim with gear, and uh, hit the road. So that night we camped out at the Islands Campground in Shelburne um, and that was the end of uh, day zero.
Only nine in the photo. I think Peter's missing. I'm not sure where he was, but there were 10 of us. Um, we had a beautiful sunrise, as you can see here, which I took to be a good omen for, for the trip. Um, we all arrived about an hour, an hour and a half before the ride. It gave us a chance to meet the other riders, to do some last minute checks, pack our bags, get ready to go. We started at 8 a.m. They staggered us by two minutes in kind of a random order, so we had some separation from the other riders. I started somewhere in the middle, and Kieran, who won this ride, started like near the end and passed me like right away somehow. <laughs> he passed me like full crouch, arrow position, legs pumping, talking to himself that he was gonna do this in 48 hours, and I just said, good luck, man, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> I didn't see him again, because he won this thing by many, many miles. Um, yes, yeah, so that's the morning of, uh, of day one. So day one for me, now every rider was different. Again, it was up to the individual riders, how you want to tackle this. But for me, I started at Cape Sable Island, rode the 103, which was a really boring stretch of highway, but it, it was the shortest distance to Bridgewater. Um, we all rode the 103, hit the checkpoint in Lunenburg, you know, turned north, went up over, over South Mountain, um, on the edge of the valley and then descended into Kenfield, hit checkpoint two just at sunset. I had some food in Kenfield and then continued on east through Wolfville, um, Grand Pre, and then hit the 101 to Windsor. I stopped in Windsor for the night. This 318K, that's the biggest day I've ever done by far. Um, you know, that's a lot of elevation as well. I was, I was pretty pooched after day one, that's for sure. So I woke up on day two thinking, that's a really big day, you should feel proud of yourself. Like, I wonder how the other riders are doing. Because we had tracking devices and there was a website where you could log on and check the progress of the other riders. You could see them on the map, how each rider, how far they went the previous day. So I log in thinking there's gonna be like riders not too far ahead of me. I wake up and I realize five guys in front of me just hadn't even stopped yet. They rode all night and were still riding because they're maniacs. Kieran was all the way up here somehow, and I was down in Windsor. It was just this crazy. So I abandoned any hope of finishing anywhere near the top, which was kind of nice because it let me just, just ride at my own pace. But um, yeah, I was really appreciating sleep. Um, I don't know how those guys did it. But you know, waking up in Windsor, headed to Truro, um, then started heading west to Parsboro hit checkpoint three in Parsboro, turn north, head towards Amherst, um, jumped on the Trans-Canada Highway, round dark, um, crossed the border into New Brunswick, rode past the fort. I'm, I'm told the fort is really beautiful. I wouldn't know because it was like pitch black. Um, jumped back on the highway and then headed up the number six east towards the Sunrise, uh, Sunrise Trail. So, um, yeah, and day two was another big day, like almost 280K. I was, I was really tired after this. Day three, um, I had a really great campsite in Warren, so I had a good sleep. I just got on the road before sunrise, and this stretch of, of ride between Warren and probably like Picto was definitely my favorite of the entire ride. Um, I rode the sunrise trail at sunrise. It was a perfect day. Um, there was no wind. The elevation is fairly, the terrain's fairly flat. Um, and you ride through some beautiful towns like Tatamagush and uh, Wallace, Port Hope, Seafoam. Like it's a really beautiful stretch of coast. And 
Um, I think a really underrated part of the province. Um, I haven't spent much time there. I definitely plan to spend more time there in the future. Um, but yeah, had a really, really great stretch until about Picto. The stretch between Picto and Enigganish, not great. Really steep, really boring. Uh, lots of trees, lots of elevation, not super fun, but we hit checkpoint five at nighttime. Continued on to Buckenkeck at, uh, you know, arrived around, I don't know, 10 or 11 o'clock. Had some Mary Brown's chicken, planned on stopping shortly, having some quick food, charging my devices and getting back on the road. But, you know, once you stop, I was full of sweat, it was nighttime. I walked back outside, I was freezing cold. And uh, I just lost all motivation to keep going. So I set up shop just outside the uh, SO in Buckenkeck and called her night. I camped by a couple of gas stations because they just felt like really convenient places to sleep. <laughs> like they have tons of, there's all kinds of food everywhere there, you know, and there's bathrooms. Um, yeah, anyway, it was just it was coffee in the morning. It was really. <laughs> Way better than in the woods. Like, <laughs> um, I should mention, I forgot to mention this before, but on day two or three, I really started to get some, some bad saddle sores. For those who don't know what they are, it's like essentially a blister on your butt cheek from sitting on the bike for so long. And my shorts, like, I only had one pair of shorts. I was really sweaty. Um, and you're just sitting in the heat all day cycling. So there's a lot of just friction. <laughs> where the seat like hits your butt cheek. So I started getting some really bad saddle sores and so bad in fact that when I cycled through all act just in New Brunswick, I had to stop to like try and figure it out. And they had no, they had no like really good options but they had Blistex. <laughs> Which, you know, it's good enough for your lips. It's got menthol, it's cooling. <laughs> I thought, why not? So one of my lowest points of the trip, I was standing in a big stop stall with my bike shorts around my ankles, bent over, blistexing my own butt. <laughs> and it was like midnight. Like, what the hell am I doing here? But, but it worked. <laughs> it actually provided a lot of relief. So I, I bought a few more sticks of blistex and kept going. And then, in Tatamagusha, I actually stopped at a proper pharmacy and got some Vaseline, some gauze, some, some wraps. Like, I tied a towel around my seat just to get like, some separation. Um, but yeah, my butt was really hurting. Um, so, speaking of that, waking up in Buckenkeck, this was the, definitely the worst morning of the trip by far. Um, I was too tired to put the fly in my tent, and it didn't rain or anything, but there was enough condensation that my, my sleeping bag got really wet. I also, I don't know if it was from exhaustion or, or what, but I had a really bad bout of night sweat, so the outside of my sleeping bag got wet from the condensation, but was soaked through on the inside as well from sweating. It was soaked through, essentially. And I woke up freezing cold, I had a horrible sleep. Even though it was end of August, it was still pretty mild. The mornings were pretty cool. So I said, well, at least I'm by a gas station. I can go get coffee and I can go to my, my Vaseline routine in, in the stall before I hit the road. So I walked down to the gas station barefoot because I lost my flip-flops the day before. Um, I didn't want to walk in my bike shoes because they're kind of annoying. 
um, it's closed. The gas station's closed. No coffee. You can't get into the washroom. So I had to walk back up to my tent, which I left open by mistake, which was now full of mosquitoes. <laughs> and is anyone familiar with like the happy baby pose in yoga? <laughs> so so I'm, I'm just laying there with like no pants on, happy babying and putting Vaseline on my own butt, getting eaten alive by mosquitoes, shivering. And then I had to put my sweaty, my single you know, pair of clothes back on, my sweaty bike shorts and shirt, freezing cold, it's still dark. And then I had to get on the bike. It was like, man, I can't, I don't know if I can do this anymore. My knees were swollen, my legs were dead, my, my ass was on fire. Um, and it felt like I was continually going uphill that morning, even though, you know, you can see it's, it's not too, too bad. It felt like it was continuous uphill. And I was really close to pulling the plug. Um, the first hour, hour and a half, I just felt horrible. I was down in the dumps. I was questioning why I was doing this ride. I just had no energy whatsoever. But I just kept going, kept pushing. And then after about two hours, maybe, um, you kind of get to this point here where you kind of crest this really long hill and you can see down to the Strait of Canso and the Canso Causeway. Now I'm, I'm from Cape Breton, the Canso Causeway has always held like a really special like part, you know, part of, you know, it's significant to me. It, it feels like home every time you cross that causeway. So when I saw that from the top of the hill, I said, oh my God, it's, yeah, I'm almost home. It's almost over and the sun had, was out then. Um, I got to the top of this long hill. I had nothing but downhill down to a coffee shop. Then I was going to cross into Cape Breton, and the day really turned like from, from being really, really poor to being really great. So, crossed the causeway, um, headed up Route 19 up the western side of, uh, of Cape Breton into Inverness, came down through Lake Ainsley, stopped for some pizza uh, in Bedeck at Tom's Pizza. Shout out, best pizza in Cape Breton, <laughs> way better than Napoli. Um, <laughs> Had some pizza in Bedeck and then rode out at sunset along the Bordeaux Lakes. So I, I planned on stopping at, uh, at the English Town Ferry, which is kind of in around here and camping for the night. But I don't know if it was like the Coke that I was drinking at, at Tom's Pizza or the pizza. Like, I don't know what it was, but I was feeling really, really good. Had a killer tailwind and just decided to send it up to, uh, up to Inganish. Um, so it was, at this point, it was, it was pitch black. I hadn't seen a car on the Cabot Trail for, for a couple hours. End up cresting Smoky, um, which is a really badass climb, but like got to the top literally at midnight, which was really cool. Cloudless night, all stars, um, you know, no cars for, I hadn't seen cars for hours. It was a really, really cool moment for me because I was like the lowest of the low that morning. And then at midnight, it was like one of the coolest moments that I've, I've had, honestly, um, just in general. So, descended Smoky. Um, if anyone knows Chalmers Blinkhorn here, he lives in Inganish now. He had the one like, aid station that we could all use. He lives in Inganish, like I said. Um, it was available to all riders. If you wanted to stop in for water, or just stop in for a rest, or stay the night, it was available. So I, I messaged him and said, hey man, can I just like, crash in your yard? He said, yeah, no problem. He let me sleep on his couch, which was amazing. It was nice to not set up my tent. And um, that was the end to day four. And yeah, ass definitely still on fire. <laughs> so day five, the final day, I woke up early in Inganish. I, I knew I only had you know, 65, 67K to go. I knew it wasn't gonna be easy. 
like this is the Cape Breton Highlands. There's some serious hills up there, especially that road to Meat Cove. Um, but you know, I've been doing 300, 200 plus K the previous days, like 67 K I could do. The climb from Neils Harbor to, to Cape North totally kicked my ass. Um, but then you kind of veer off the Cabot Trail. You take Bay St. Lawrence Road a while, which isn't too bad. And then you see a sign for Meat Cove Road. And you see a sign that says, I think, like Meat Cove 8 or Meat Cove 10. Or it's, it's somewhere around 10 kilometers. And you're like, oh my god, I'm, I'm going to finish. I'm almost there. But in the back of my mind, I knew that like, the hardest part was yet to come. Because if anyone's been to Meat Cove, either on a bike or in a car or on foot, like the road to Meat Cove is totally, just totally screwed. Like it's, it's an absolute gauntlet. It's, all, it's mostly gravel. It's riddled with potholes. It's riddled with ruts. Um, really steep inclines, really steep descents in like the sketchy gravel. Uh, it was like around midday, like 11 o'clock at that time, the sun was beaten down. And I had set a goal for myself I knew waking up that morning, if I finished before noon, I would have got in um, under 100 hours. And it felt kind of arbitrary, but it's still something to push for. So I was trying to you know, go hard, but that road to Meat Cove totally kicked my ass, um, especially with my ass being on fire the way it was. <laughs> I described it as a, like literally a jackhammer, a sharpened jackhammer right to your butt, <laughs> going over some of that gravel in those potholes. Yeah. But I made it, um, made it in there before noon. Um, here are some photos. If you haven't been to Meat Cove, I recommend going. It's really beautiful. Um, there's a photo there in the middle. It, it feels like the end of the world. And it kind of feels fitting after doing like this really badass ride to finish at the, literally the hardest part of the whole ride by far is the finish. Um, you know, at the time it really sucked, but looking back, it, it's a pretty cool way to finish a ride like this. Um, I was expecting some fanfare when I finished because my mom and dad, being from not too far away, like kind of came along for moral support the last stretch. So I ride into Meat Cove and there's nobody there. <laughs> <laughs> mom and dad, they had met someone they knew there somehow <laughs> and were like in their house looking at their house. <laughs> and Ashley and Derek, who were waiting for the riders there, I think got lost on a hike. And weren't back in time, so I was like rolling into Meat Cove just totally by myself. <laughs> but it was actually kind of nice. You kind of get there, and you, you did, we did 99% of the ride by, by ourselves. You know, we didn't ride with each other. So it was kind of nice to have a few moments when you get there to kind of decompress and take in the accomplishments and whatnot. So um, soon after, my, my mom and dad came by with dad brought a cooler full of Alexander Keith on ice which was you know, one of the best beers of my life to have after finishing a ride like this. And then um, Ashley and, and Derek came around the corner, and then Mark, who you see here, he finished, I think, the night before me. He's another rider. Uh, he was hanging out in Meat Cove for a few days camping out. So it was really nice to just talk to some other people and you know, decompress and talk about the ride and, and just kind of drink it in. So total distance, yeah, 1,155 kilometers. Um, Elevation about 9,600 meters. Just for reference, Everest, Mount Everest is about 8,900, so we're you know just north of that. Um, I think I probably burned about 40,000 calories. I ate probably 40,000 calories too, but 
Um, yeah, it was just constant exercise. It was a lot. And yeah, just in under 100 hours. Um, for reference, I, I think Kieran, who won this thing, was like 59 or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he's, yeah, just, an, just crazy, um, way ahead. Um, so yeah, some lessons learned. Um, definitely bring some shaming cream. That's essentially just some, some cream for your, for your butt, is what it is. <laughs> um, just the idea of just like keep pushing through barriers. Like I said, I had my lowest low and my highest high on the same day. If I had to quit that morning, um, you know, after that crappy sleep, I wouldn't have had the, you know, the success that I did. So if you just keep pushing and pushing, you don't know, like, you know, you could feel great just around the corner, and that's exactly what happened to me. So if you're feeling like trash, just push a little harder, you know, take a break, have some food, take a deep breath, try again. If you're feeling like garbage, do it again. On the third try, if, if it's really not working for you, then, you know, maybe consider shutting it down. But it's amazing what you can do if you just keep, keep turning those cranks and keep moving. Um, for me, starting the ride, you know, you have about 11 to 1200k to cover. That seems pretty daunting on the surface. Um, even the checkpoints, even if you break it up to the checkpoints, the checkpoints were still hundreds of kilometers away from each other, which is daunting. So I tried not to think about how far away everything was. I just tried to set like really small goals for myself. Um, I would look at the map and say, oh, you know, Tatamagush is 40 kilometers away. Let's Let's try and get to Tatamagush in one push. Um, Anaganish is 30k away. Let's try and get there, you know, wherever, 60k away. Just set smaller incremental goals. And make sure to reward yourself. Like I said, I, I burned 40,000 calories, um, which meant I could eat anything and everything in sight and enjoy it and not care about it. So I rewarded myself with food, which was a really great motivator. Um, just ate constantly, so every time I would get to a, a set goal, I would reward myself with a nice meal or snack. Um, support from friends and family it goes a super long way. Um, like I said, we had tracking devices and there was a website where people could follow your progress, so I had friends, family, all kinds of folks reaching out as I rode, saying like, keep going, you're doing great, you're doing awesome, the, and, which was a huge motivator. The best uh, motivation I got, though, was from my buddy here, Dave, and Jonathan Maie. If you guys were here at the last night of adventure here, they did a presentation on running the East Coast Trail. They were actually out on the trail at the same time I was riding my bike. We're further along than I was, so we're in a lot more pain. But I remember Dave texting me. He was following along, which is crazy, because they were coastal Newfoundland. I don't know how they got time or energy to check on my progress, but I received some nice messages from Dave and Johnny, who I know are in a lot of pain because I saw the pictures of their feet. Um, they reached out to me and said, hey, you're doing great, man, like keep going. So that was huge for me. Um, so thank you, Dave. Um, yeah, and then sometimes substances are pillars to success. <laughs> uh, Advil was huge. Um, I had a lot of swelling in my knees and my butt really hurts, so that helped. Caffeine, I don't drink Coke or pop or anything like ever, I, I don't like it, but on this ride, I couldn't get enough of it. Every stop, crushing cans of pop, and the sugar and the caffeine and whatever just kept me going. And yeah, Vaseline for, for obvious reasons. Um, thanks everyone for coming out here and listening.
Oh man, what a story, eh, Chris? I mean, that's just good, solid type two fun. Yeah, yeah, honest, hard work, right? Just show up and do the best you can. I, I remember reaching out to him when I was, as he mentioned at the end there, uh, while I was up on the East Coast Trail. I had received advice from a friend, and he said, uh, don't forget to enjoy the experience. Too many people get caught up in the numbers and the miles and the time and the distance. And don't forget to enjoy the experience, because wherever you are, like, if you're 86 hours into a race and you quit, it's going to take you 86 hours to get back to that place. It's also a good reminder, too, um, like what getting words of encouragement can mean to your psyche while you're out doing a trip like that, you know. So sending a message to your buddy um, like you did, I mean, that, that gave him some motivation. And sometimes you need a little kick in the butt. You need a little something, a little motivation um, just to kind of keep keep going and, and, and yeah like you said enjoy yourself remind yourself that like, this is a pretty cool thing and it's, vol- it's voluntary you signed up yeah. yeah you are to blame for the suffering <laughs> and you best enjoy it as much as you can <laughs> yeah but uh talk about exploring the human spirit through storytelling sam did a great job for us there tonight yeah, that was uh, that was really good. Thank you, Sam, for that, and thank you for motivating uh, myself because I think uh, I think I need, this is something that I need to put on my list uh, to do within the next couple of years. I think. All right. I'm I'm motivated. I'm on the fence. <laughs> Presenting was fun. Uh, I, I, I personally, I enjoy public speaking. I always liked it. So um, being able to get a crowd out and show them how fun pushing yourself and how crazy some of these badass adventures are, uh, it was a blast. I had a really good time doing that.